This is the Off Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, we will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy Kate Burr. Welcome to episode 11 of the Off Kilter podcast. Today's episode is with one of my favorite humans, Renee Pubrick. Renee is a teacher, mentor, athlete, mama to fur baby, Murph, and a business owner. This human is strong, powerfully graceful, and has a powerful story about learning to listen to her body slowing down and reconnecting with her inner animal. Ren is the co-owner of the Oxbox in Melbourne, Australia. This space is one of the most aesthetically pleasing, welcoming, supportive environments to move your body in. Her and her Oxbox team do more than teach humans how to move better. There is a quote on their website that I love. The magic is in the movement. The art is in the programming, the science is in the explanation, and the fun is in the community. And that's what they've created at the Oxbox, a tribe of people where they have fun while they move their body. Today, we were in conversation about her training story. Ren has been in the fitness industry for over 23 years. So we chat and connect about what's wrong with the fitness industry, how to overcome fear after an injury, how stillness has helped her connect more powerfully to her body. Uh, I've known Ren for over six years and we trained together and we competed in Olympic weightlifting together. So I'm so excited uh, to share this very eclectic conversation with you. I could chat with Ren for hours. And this, I believe, is one of many connections and conversations we'll have. So enjoy. Yeah. And this is a big, I, we should start, like I'm recording, but like we should actually, <laughs> because I don't want to, like, I want to value your time and sharing all this great stuff. And I'm not so like, uh, like um, techie that I could like yeah. this piece and this piece. And then so we're just going to start and we can like, so let's start. we can um, rehash, we can go from kind of rehash and we can go from where we were just then. So, <laughs> This is episode 11 of the Off Kilter podcast, and I am with my good friend, Ren, uh, and we were deep in conversation, and I have recorded some of it, so <laughs> you will, you'll probably be entering this podcast mid-conversation, uh, but we were just talking about uh, kind of like expiry dates, I guess you can say, <laughs> Yeah, and a big learning for me has been you can we can totally do it we can achieve the result we can train 6 days a week for 4 hours a day we can uh f- like train like pepper but what what detriment is it to our health or to other areas of our life 
because mm. for me, I was training six days a week, three or four hours a day. Um, and I did that for a long time, but on reflection, it was at the detriment to the relationships in my life because my attachment to training or how exhausted I was or my obsession around the, the training and the practice and making sure it's perfect affected so many relationships in my life. I couldn't show up powerfully there. It was never positive because it was always about my training. So my partner at the time, it was our, our connection wasn't um, always positive. My relationship with uh, our coach was, was not positive so, so much because of yeah. this obsession. Uh, and then eventually it was at the detriment to my health. Mm. Like I got, like I got injured and I'm not saying like, you know, we can get injured and we can recover and that's fine. But like my body was telling me for so long, it was speaking and messages and symptoms. Um, mm. And so you're right. It's at, well, what, what is the expiry date? Um, yeah. And we are so different. Our DNA is so different. Um, our story and our training background is so different. Yeah. Uh, so what I loved about your ebook around training for our cycles and how to honor our spring into summer into autumn into winter was the fact that I connected with like, cause we journal most, most, most athletes journal. We journal about our training. Um, if you're, if you've been in fitness, if you've been in your training for oh, a couple of years, you realize you start talking about your mood and, and how things feel. If you actually, when you have your first experience of real injury and setback, you journal about the emotion around it and then coming back in. Um, I was like, I really noticed that where my injuries happened were when I pushed through in that week, in my winter leading up to spring, I would become ligaments and tendons would not feel great and joints would get super sore. And if I like pushed it, it, I would have like a very shitty training experience, but I would also like, you know, get some like superficial injuries that would stay with me for a while. And I realized like pulling back would be more healthy in that moment because it meant that in the two to three weeks after you would have a peak. So it would be like you just pull back a little bit to roll on, to pull yeah. back a bit to, look, to roll on. Like having this expectation that like I'm going to be across this even keel consistently. Like I'm always going to be able to do this and I'm always going to continue to go up and up and up. It didn't make sense really. Like nothing works like that. Yeah. Just be nothing. better, do better, lift yeah. heavier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, in any practice though, it's kind of weird because if you like refer back to life, in anything, in, in work, in finance, in relationships, like nothing ever cycles like that. Like everything has an on to off period, you know, and um, kind of made me put, apply it to myself, but then start to notice it in my athletes and the people that I'm training and the people who are in my life, like my personal relationships, you know, like catching up with my best friend. I catch up with my best friend every Thursday we have Noki or whatever she wants to eat. Um, we catch up. And I, and I started thinking about, oh, like every third or fourth Thursday is a, is a shitty time. Like, yeah. It's time. You know, she's struggling in a relationship with her partner. She's having a bad time at work. Like we all have 
conversations around why she feels like crap about her training. And I'm like, oh, like there's a moment where we're not acknowledging that we have, we're living in a process. Yeah. Um, All the time. Like so many females don't acknowledge this, this one powerful tool is not acknowledged and not honored. No. And I, I feel like I'm just, I'm just scratching the surface of how this is going to impact people that I work with, because I realized like the conversation isn't just for women. No. It's about men as well. And I've done, I've only just done a small amount of research, but we've always joked as women that men have periods. Yeah. You know, know, there's (laughs) there's the sympathy period for the really connected partner. Um, But there's also like an, uh, there's some information out there that men have like three to four month cycles. Yeah. Um, what I kind of relate to, because I just by my experience of working with men and women for like 24 years in fitness, is I think men are around the year. They're most fertile around spring if they're healthy, if they're healthy in training and, and, and sleep and nutrition. Everything happens for them coming from winter into spring. And then you can kind of map around their training as well, is very similar. But I notice it more in my older male athletes, how much their emotion and their mentality changes as they become less fertile. They become more feminine and more yeah. attached to the closeness and the conversation of it's not so much about sex. It's about connection. Yeah. And I think that there's something there. Like I, I, I I'm not expressing it properly because it's kind of still formulating for me. There's something there to be understood on how to support them with training, just like women need it. We're so much more experienced in it because we deal with it monthly and we deal with it monthly with a very, very definitive start when we start to bleed. And then when we get into menopause, yeah, that men are, it's just about how like how fertile they are for procreation. And then as they kind of go out, out of it, you notice it in men who are going into their thirties and forties, they get the, the dad, the dad bod, they call it. Yeah. And it's like, well, their estrogen levels are different now. Like something's yeah. happening to them and they're, they're changing. They're less fertile. And so it's, it's a fascinating space to kind of walk into. And I can understand why mainstream fitness in the world doesn't like to touch on it yeah. because you can't market this kind of conversation really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not really like sexy. It's a little no. bit like hard to talk about. No, it is. And also if you want to brand yourself as, a, as an individual business person or as, a, as a, a massive brand, you need a niche. And so how do you niche conversation, hormonal health for training? Um, because what's going to have to happen is everybody's going to have to understand that each individual athlete is unique. We cannot market fitness as a, this is one way rules all. And it's kind of, it's hard. It's, it's, no one's making money <laughs> unless you're like, unless you are having these moments, like you and I very much are in the space of we deal with small population density because we're only one person. Yeah. There's only so much, so much, many people that we can see. So our message is educate each individual as much as we can so they can educate their community and it kind of like spreads in a little way. But you know, like, when you look at 7 billion people, it's probably more than 7 billion now. I think it's like 9 billion people on the planet now. Uh, (laughs) 
you know, you got to have a pretty loud voice. And like, even if you only have 1 million viewers, that's still a very small scratch in the ocean. So yeah. you don't make, make a big ripple out of that. Um, but yeah, but, like, um, you said that you just mentioned you've been in the fitness industry for 24 years. So, because <laughs> it's about story and your story, but we don't have to go back to like once upon a time, and like right back to the beginning. <laughs> but we can start with this, this, your story into the fitness world. So you mm. have been doing it for 24 years. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I, it's really funny how it started. I was working in retail and outdoor uh, in outdoor recreation. So I was into rock climbing and um, I'd kind of gotten into it from scouts. So I was yeah. like a young, little youngster liking scouts and I just wanted to work in an outdoor shop. And I met a guy and he was um, a fitness instructor, but he also taught rock climbing to um, um, special needs kids for the YMCA in Canberra. And he was like, you should come. Like there's a, there's a job there. They want uh, a receptionist or something. And I ended up going and loved the after-school care and loved teaching these um, special needs kids. Most of them were Down syndrome kids, how to do bouldering. And um, I was really into the fitness space because my mum was a fitness instructor and my dad was in the army. So like they they both had like fitness practice. And, uh, you know, I spent many, many an evening in my pajamas down the back of a gym, you know, or a community center or whatever (laughs) while mum taught you know, doing pretending to do aerobics and then with the other gym kids, we would go and play in squash courts or whatever until the class was over. So I was kind of familiar with the space and I was could kind of like put a circuit together. Anyway, one night this chick didn't rock up for the last circuit at this YMCA I was working at and there were like three or four people there in the gym and I was like, oh, I, I could chuck something together. I'll help you out, you know. Yeah. And we did it and they had a great time and they wanted me to do it again and I just kind of fell into it. Uh, but it was always not serious. It was just like the, it was fun. I liked leading people. Um, mm. I liked kind of being that person in front of them, telling me what to do. It was, but I didn't really get into it until um, my early twenties. I had a, 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 I'm a really avid motorcyclist. And I had a yeah. <laughs> rather um, unfortunate accident, and I was incapacitated for a while and um, I was really down and out it had been a couple years I couldn't have a a good physical practice I was in a shitty workers compensation battle I had people from that company following me around trying to prove that my claim was redundant because I was capable I was trying to get myself better and um, the public system was not geared towards that it was geared to pharmaceutical medication and not really recovering so i was being told by a lot of people that i couldn't have the movement that i would have before the accident i was going to be you know incapacitated for life and so i just kind of hit rock bottom i was like addicted to um, anti-inflammatories and mood stabilizers i was not working i was just in a bad way and i just kind of had this moment of I don't care about being paid out. Like, I don't care about any of that. I just want to move again. I want to remember what it was like. And I got involved with a small company that was like a pain management clinic. Yeah. And they had, they were a private enterprise and they had like a psychologist, a personal trainer and a GP, uh, what they called an integrated GP. So a little bit step above. And they all worked with me to get me better and get me off um, the painkillers. And I reconnected with my 
movement practice. And when I moved from that, because I was in a, in a really small town, when I moved from there into a bigger town, I realized trying to go back into retail that I really wasn't passionate about retail anymore, that I really like the, the fitness space had become so much more open for me. It wasn't just about standing in front of people and being a cheerleader and instructor. I could like <laughs> impact people and change their life. Um, and so I became a personal, I got qualified, got my cert three and four in fitness and I went into it. And my first job, my first real job as a trainer just happened to be the Naval and Military Club. And it was with a social demographic that was either people who had served and were really old and, and had hip replacements and, um, shoulder replacements and all sorts of things. Um, or they were people who were high end corporate cause you had to pay to be a member of the Naval and military club as a civilian. And it was a, it was a bit of a thing. It was a bit of a status thing. So like I met people who were like running Rio Tinto and Telstra and, um, they were people who had really, really high stress jobs, but they also had really messed up, uh, postures and stress related, um, issues. And I kind of learned that, Oh, if you're stressed, it can physically manifest itself into things. So like, Oh, you've got a shoulder problem, but you've never really done anything physical that I can classify as causing that. I think it must be around your stress. So it like kind of all got became (laughs) integrated with like my personal experience of getting over my, um, my accident and the emotion behind being addicted to painkillers and the depression and a lot of, when I got clear of that, my physical issue started to become more manageable. I got to bring that in. So yeah, we evolved from that. Now, you know, fast forward, I think it's 12 years now. Um, I have my own brand with my business partner, Josh, and we used CrossFit as a vehicle, but we use it as a longevity conversation. So yeah. From, um, which was birthed from that, your experience that like a long time ago which was learning about you really just wanted to move again yeah like always which brings in this longevity piece it's that we have this craving and desire to move Mm. and so how do we take that or take someone and gift them that gift them the tools or the process for that longevity piece what is that saying? It's a Socrates saying. It's one of my favourites. No, no, you can say it out aloud. My partner's just here to remember it. What is it? <laughs> it is around this fact that no is a is a shame if a man or a woman. No citizen has the right to be an amateur as a matter of physical training. Did you hear that? What a disgrace it is for a man to grow old without ever seeing beauty and strength of which his body is capable. That's it. He says, he's like, it, it's, a, it's a disgrace that a man or a woman can grow old without ever experiencing the grace and beauty of what it is to be physically capable. Yeah. Um, fast forward, like however many hundreds of years since then. <laughs> yeah. um, instead of it being a disgrace, it is, it's at your it's at your life quality detriment to not understand that we need to move our body. Um, Me and you touched on this before we started actually really recording this um, episode, but if you don't explore primal movement, 
your body does not age well. I mean, um, one of my favorite things when I was at the Naval Military Club, one of the things I really got connected with was the joy of bringing people who had thought that they couldn't have a particular way of moving movement. And it was like my, one of my favorite athletes was a 93 year old man. He was a general, he was dotty as <laughs> he used to catch the tram into the Naval and Military Club and his wife used to stress out because after our session, he'd always go and have a scotch, <laughs> whatever. He's 93. He made it. But, um, he was so like, like bent out of shape when I got him and my, my main practice with him wasn't weights, wasn't making him run, wasn't anything like that. It was just getting him to get a stand upright and teaching him how to catch himself if he fell. So we just did really basic stuff like get using a bench, get down onto his stomach, help himself get back up. What did making those shapes with his body look like? And like to his end of his days, I became one of his favorite people. And I think he connected it was because I gave him freedom. Um, one of the things I say to my younger clients who are really wrapped up in the now, I want a six pack and I want a hundred kilo squat and I want to be the best for this really short period of time is it's like honor where you're at and just maintain where you're at because when you're injured or when you can't do what you want, that is when you really feel the chronological, the chronological age of your body. Like I've met 80 year old yoga instructors who walk with more grace and ability than you know, some of the 20 year olds that have walked through my door and, and want to train for the first time because they understand that a physical practice is as relevant as making sure that you wash yourself every day. <laughs> um, yeah. But you even say this, this like physical practice, like this language doesn't really exist. And I've no. been here for three years now and it's even more rare over here than it is at home in Australia. So people still use the words like, uh, work out. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to exercise. And it's not mm. so much that the words are wrong but it's the meaning that's underneath the words. Mm. And so you use these words like movement or physical practice and people, they can't connect to that mm. because for so long they've been attached to these words like exercise and work out and train. And with that, they have their beliefs about what that looks like. Well, so many people use like, again, I'll come back to corporate people or people who are in a particular um, profession. They'll use their fitness and their body like a stress toy. So it's like, I need to go for my 10K run before I go into this massive day that I've got with all these meetings. Um, I, need, I just need to come to the gym and just blow it off, you know? I just want to, like, just get it out. And in that space, what is concerning is when they get injured, they're not dealing with how they manage themselves. So it's like the thing that they're using as the coping mechanism suddenly taken away. But what's really confronting in that is it's be, sometimes it's because they've been using their body like that, that it's been, it, it's, it's been taken away because you, know, you can only squeeze something so much before it doesn't bounce back. Um, I've learned that, I've experienced that intensely personally over the last few years <laughs> and it's funny because the, 
human mind likes to forget. When everything's on top, <laughs> yeah. we forget how bad shit could be. Yeah, we're so, really slow learners as well. <laughs> you know, so like I mentioned to you earlier at the beginning, at the end of last year, like I got glandular fever again. I say again because when I opened my business seven years ago, I got chronic fatigue because I just ran myself into the ground not understanding that, oh, you know, you need more than six hours sleep a night. Go figure. You know, eating, drinking six drinking six coffees a day doesn't, you know, doesn't really help you. <laughs> it's just adding to it. Um, and so like I went through chronic fatigue, I got better. I didn't learn. I didn't understand. I made it about my hormonal health because um, I come off birth control for the first time in like since adolescence. And I thought that it was my hormonal imbalance that had gotten me sick. This is and seven then, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. More than seven. More than seven. I think I came off the pill at 32 and I'm just 41. I took me a while to get better. And then I went through chronic fatigue and I thought it was all part of the same conversation. And then, you know, last year I got sick again and it was like, Oh, I'm just, again, I'm like, I was all about got to go to the gym, want to do this competition, want to train two hours a day. If I don't train two hours a day, like the rest of my day is not going to be great. This keeps me calm. This keeps me on a level. Um, had to learn that that the hard way again come round full circle that yeah that's not the way you do should interact with your fitness your training is about being healthy and strong to live the most uh quality of life whereas not about like it's yeah it's about making you feel good we want consistent delivery of um and serotonin and endorphins and adrenaline and testosterone holy shit who doesn't love squatting for a few hours and that testosterone makes you feel so good but yeah. you know you gotta you gotta balance it out you gotta balance it out with sleep and you gotta balance it out with some good nutrition and then some downtime you know yeah be still breathe like when you're stressed the worst thing you can do is go and add some more adrenaline to it it's just going to spike that anxiety like it's not it's going to make you feel good because you've got endorphins but you know when those endorphins pit fall off you've still got that anxiety but if you learn how to manage your anxiety in a way of being still and like i'll tell you a story there's a I man that i coach <laughs> there's a man that i coach that is like he's in a six-figure private business um small business, which is amazing for a small business to be in six figures. And he, he caused himself a blood clot and uh, we didn't cause himself a blood clot, but he got a blood clot and he almost, it almost went into his heart. He had had a stent put in. And then through that process of not being out of train, I kept coaching him. I insisted that he still come to his sessions and we just did breathing, so breathing exercises and then stillness. And you know, heaps of stuff came up. At the end of the sessions, he would cry. He would get angry at me. He would storm out of the gym and then, you know, text me later that he was sorry. And so much stuff came up about his stories about how he was growing up, how he placed himself in his relationships. Now, um, heaps of things came up. He got better. He could train again. But what was cool was he came, comes back to me time and time again and says to me that what he learnt most around that experience was he got to have his training practice as a joy of moving now 
And when he's stressed, he's still. And the stillness gives him an ability to understand what's under the stress. You can understand why a lot of people don't like doing the work because we layer stories on top of how we interact with things that cause us anxiety. So we're like, oh, I'm, I'm like that because I'm, I get anxious when people drive up behind me really, really fast because 20 years ago I got, I got rear-ended by someone and I ended up really badly injured. And it's like, well, that's not happening every time someone comes up behind you really fast now. That just happened then, you know. And in that moment of stillness, when you first start, you start to make those connections and you're able to let it go. But those connections are sometimes really hard to deal with because there's bigger work that needs to be done. And people don't like that. <laughs> no, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Or it makes you, for my personal experience is because most of us layer our stories when we're young. It makes me feel like that insecure little kid at that moment. And I don't like, I don't like that. I like to feel like a strong, successful businesswoman that I am, you know? You don't want to be like, oh, this social situation makes me feel bad and I'm just going to, I'm just going to react the way that I always react instead of having a moment and taking responsibility of like, oh, I was bullied really badly at some point in my life and I'm reacting this way because of that. I'm acting like a brat because of that. Yeah. Oh, I'm being a brat. Shit. I'm going to take responsibility <laughs> for that. <laughs> but it's this like this when we're in this place of stillness and we are just allowing and receiving we we see it so much as like a negative because of this stuff but really if we come from this place of curiosity it's actually it's really fascinating and interesting like the yeah, things that, that come out when we just allow and receive um mm. but there's so much resistance there uh when you start working with someone and you invite them into this um, practice of just allowing and receiving, there is so mm. much, there's so much fight or pushback um, mm. from them. Uh, so when you were working with this athlete of yours, uh, did he fight back at the start? Did he? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Fidgeting. Yeah. Um, I should get my phone. I want to show you something. Yeah. Um, you know, it still happens though. That's the funny thing. Like I think people who are listening should remember like once yeah. you, just because you get something doesn't mean that you've fixed yourself. Yes. We, we are very good. We're, we're, we're habitual animals and it's very hard to break a behavioral cycle. And I don't actually even think that you can say that you do break your preconditioned behavioral cycles that you lay down from childhood you have to be aware of them you have to call yourself out on it consistently and I think that that's where a lot of people who work in the self-development space get to a certain level and then will fall off because yeah. they think oh, I've done my work now if we come back to like drawing that work back to a physical space if you're doing a squat cycle and you're like squatting for eight weeks let's say and you get to the eighth week and you peak you have to have a, an off cycle to kind of cycle down for health or you just can't squat forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, you come back to it. So like you've done your eight, your eight week squat cycle, you leave it alone for six months, you come back. You can't come back expecting that you're going to do the same weight that you did at week eight. And it's the same idea about when you work with yourself, 
you can't do that emotionally. You, you have to keep coming back and do the work over and over again. Um, one of well, my favorite people that I listen to is Brene Brown yes. <laughs> and her work on vulnerability and shame and people hate those words. Um, she constantly advocates that you're just always kind of working on it and you're allowed to be a brat and you're allowed to drop it, but you know, you want to always come back to it. And I, I kind of went off on that segue because this guy that I was working with, like he had his stent put in end of last year. It's now September. Uh, it was only last, last two weeks ago when he was in town that we, we were having our stillness and we we're lying there and I'm really happy. He's like, I've just got to show you this photo from my trip to um, Greece. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> we've just done breath work. Like we're not, we aren't getting up and breaking the stillness. Like just, you can show me after. And he didn't want to be with whatever had come up. You know, he really wanted to distract himself from it. And um, it was fun. It was funny. Like, yeah, you do resist it. People resist it. You even resist yourself. Oh, all the time. And I've been doing it for years now. And there's still mm. days where I don't want to feel this and I don't want to be uncomfortable and I don't mm. want to. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what, because we're, we're all stuck in this like result mindset or this outcome or what's the end? What will I, with that, we, that's why we don't want to do it. Because we, because yeah. like if you do a stillness practice and you realize that it actually like, it doesn't really get any easier. Yeah, some yeah. days are easier than others, but or like one moment's easier than the next, but it's not like there's no end. There's no, mm. like there's no outcome. There's no result. There's just an allowing and a receiving, which is really cool because then you can connect more powerfully with your body and mm. with your mind. Uh, and then that allows you to connect more powerfully with your environment and everyone else around you. So your yeah. relationships are more powerful as well. Um, there's how, um, there's how a young girl. You, Sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, how long have you been doing a stillness practice for? It would be, you know, it's funny. I, I am actually a qualified yoga instructor. <laughs> And I taught yoga for like I didn't 10 know years. that. <laughs> yeah, I taught yoga for 10 years. And then um, when we opened the box, I kind of did it on and off. But I had so much going on with the rest of the business. We ended up getting somebody else in to coach, um, to teach it. And then I kind of dropped off. So I had what I thought was a stillness practice. Um, but it wasn't until the end of last year when I got sick again and I couldn't train um, that I was like, oh, doing yoga like doing a powerful flow and then having and then having 10 minutes in chaturanga oh sorry 10 minutes in quartz pose is not a stillness practice a stillness. I was like oh a stillness practice is like you sit and you like you don't even have it's funny like I still I even have partnered breath work with it but yeah. I use the breath work as a way to get myself to just be with yourself but, you know, a stillness practice can be just I'm taking 10 minutes and I'm sitting down and I'm going somewhere where I can be in the sun or I can be looking at a plant that I really like or whatever and I'm just breathing. Um, it can just be five minutes. That's what I learned at the end of the year. So I would say it's been only the last nine months, really, nine and, nine, nine and a half, ten months. Yeah. Um, and it is pretty cool. I was going to say there's a girl that I met throughout um, my time here in Melbourne and 
she has a company called Fold and Move. And it's, uh, she does a yoga practice on a, a mat where they put paint down first and then they lay the mat on top of the paint and you, you move and you do a practice and then you pull the mat off oh. and what you've got is this beautiful butterfly. So it's like folding, like when you were in prime, preschool. Yeah. You open it and everybody gets a different interaction. And then she has a practice around what the, how, how everybody's individual pattern is theirs and she brings you back to uh, yourself. And it's really powerful because one of the things that she talks about is that we are like humans in training. Yeah. Where we are constantly like we are very geared towards the end result and uh, ticking boxes. And, you know, like, like I said to you uh, earlier on, when I came into my forties, I had this really existential crisis of, Oh God, like everyone could have called it a midlife crisis. <laughs> like shit, I'm half, I'm halfway. I'm in the middle of my life and I still feel like I'm 20. Like what's going on. Um, it's about, we're really attached to those labels. Like, Oh, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm, in my, I'm an early, I'm a, I'm a young adult. Oh, now I'm an adult. You know, I'm, I'm a professional. I'm a shit together. I'm a parent. I'm whatever. But we don't really understand. Like we're just constantly learning about what it is to be human over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like stimulation and what it means to us and what do we get out of it? And then what do we want to learn and adapt and move on with? Or what do we want to completely reject and, and move away from? It's fascinating. Yeah. It's, um, there's a quote, I'm not sure whose quote it is, but it's when we know better, we do better. Mm. <laughs> and that's just, that's growing as a human all the mm. time. Yeah. It's uh, actually one of, one of the things that I have enjoyed about the, the, uh, the training crew that you used to be involved with and that I'm still training with. Yeah, tell us a little things. bit about that, about your your my crew, yeah. <laughs> your crew and your training, and yeah, what that. Um, so about I think it was four and a half, almost yeah, four and a half years ago. Um, I was dealing with a back injury um, from weightlifting. I'd gotten into CrossFit in around two thousand and ten. I found it because um, I spent a stint as a, an army reservist and I, I got introduced to CrossFit in the army. And then through that experience, I kind of got introduced to CrossFit in a box and I was like, oh, wow, what's this crazy thing that's, do, that, that's happening? And I really enjoyed it. So um, I, uh, CrossFit's a gateway for a lot of people. It's a gateway to powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting or parkour or gymnastics or, you know, strongman, you know, it's a, it's a good place or it's just a gateway to CrossFit. Um, and I became an Olympic weightlifter, but I was kind of training under people that were very traditional Olympic weightlifters. And so, um, injury is prevalent in the sport unless you are working with people who are also understanding of how to like, uh, rehab those injuries or get stronger from those injuries. And so, uh, this girl that I knew loosely was in my gym doing some weird shit. And I think that girl was you, Amy. <laughs> And I was like, what is this weird stuff that you're doing that I'm seeing? And you were doing a lot of joint prep and a lot of things that were around moving the body in the way that it's designed to be moved. And you were like, oh, I work with this guy. Um, and, you know, and I said, I've got a back injury. And you were like, you should work with him. And then, I, of course, I didn't do anything about it. And I got a message from him about a week later saying, I hear that you need to work with me. And so I started working with um, Jules and... I still don't know how to define what kind of trainer he is. I, you know, actually we could probably say that he is in a lot of ways, all aspects of life because he does 
he does have a lot of conversations that are like what we're having right now, which is um, the emotion that's wrapped up in the physical practice and like the importance of stillness around it and the integration of rest and nutrition and everything needing to be, you know, aligned for it. And so um, I came into his like group of people that were from all walks of um, fitness. Uh, you've got people who like jujitsu, you've got people who like um, yoga like gymnastics you've got people like myself crossfitters um, people who like weightlifting people who like MMA um, and they all train weekly together and we all do oh, an assortment of training eclectic collection of training um, but it's basically just about moving ourselves primarily I think like we we like, crawl climb run, walk, flip, uh, every way that the human body can move, we kind of explore. Um, yeah, can't remember why we started talking about the training crew. It was a story. I was bringing it round. Around the, we were going to the space of the tribe that you train with now. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly where we were. <laughs> the actual yeah but I no I'm just super interested I'm sure a lot of people are really interested in like what it looks like have you always trained that way or like no yeah so no so I started just as a, as a in the gym just doing push pull legs and running on the treadmill and doing group fitness classes and then um, I got into strength training in the sense of body sculpting. I like, I really liked the idea of doing, um, what do you call them? Bodybuilding. Yeah. Being sprayed orange and parading <laughs> around in a glittery outfit. <laughs> you did that? And then, no, I never, I never competed, but I did do the training. Um, no one can live on boiled chicken and broccoli for long. I still can't handle steamed broccoli. Yeah. from that period of my life. <laughs> um, I've done, I, you know, I have actually explored every way that you could train. I've done the calorie deficit eating plan um, I, and I've done the do this amount of cardio this many times a week with this amount of strength training. Um, I've done the keto. I've done the snake diet. Uh, I've experimented with all of it. Um, and then I don't know, somewhere around the four years of working with Jules, it was just like, you know what, why don't you just eat food and enjoy eating food and eat good food, whole food, real food, clean food, um, when you're hungry and, <laughs> and move, um, in a balanced way, like work on things that make you uncomfortable. Like you're really bad at balance. Like, why is that? Why is jumping up and down on one leg for a minute so hard? Like, why do you have that? And then figuring out, oh, you've got something going on with an underactive glute. Like, like figuring, like, like putting pieces together, becoming more intuitive with where you are. Like, you know, oh, you run, you run for 10 years and all of a sudden you get really sore and you can't run anymore. I can't run anymore because I'm, I'm older. And it's like, well, no, you can't run anymore because you're not looking after yourself properly. Like, maybe you should address why you... Why, why is your hip sore? My hip's sore all the time. Well, then fix it. It's very interesting. I just started putting together dots and going, that's like, 
that I'm not going to settle for that or figure out how to fix that. And then you go into a different movement practice because it's like not about rocking up and doing your program and then leaving. It's about, Oh, I've got to spend an hour doing arm circles <laughs> and, and, and doing weird waves. Why am I doing weird waves? You know, it's like, Oh, cause your body's supposed to move in that way. Yeah. Like it's so fascinating to me when I get people, just when I get my clients, I get someone brand new, like I call them the gym bunny yeah. and they've just done sets and reps and, and group fitness. And it's like, okay, let's figure out why you can't do the things you say you can't do. And then you go, well, you know that your shoulder does that because you just don't have global movement. What's global movement? Oh, well, it's because it's a ball and socket joint. And you think about how a ball and socket moves, like your shoulder's supposed to move like that. So we're going to just come to a place in the next six weeks that your, your shoulder moves like that. And they're like, this is boring. Why am I doing this? And I'm like, but then six weeks later, when they can do the thing that they said that they couldn't, they all of a sudden forget how bored they were. If they stay with you, because you got to get over all the stuff that's involved in I do fitness to feel good about myself. And right now this doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel uncomfortable and it makes me feel like I suck. So how do you help people get through that? Because that is a big issue. (laughs) Um, First of all, you start with the reward. Like when you get to this, you can have that. Um, I usually... I'm like the typical mum that promises that gives candy when you're being good. So like we'll do a whole bunch of boring shit and then we'll do something fun that makes them feel good for the last part of the session. So the idea is to trick them into doing the work for you. It doesn't always work. Like some people don't want to get over their shit. Like some people are really attached to it. Like this is my story. This is the way that I'm like the way that I am. And I identify so much of myself with it that I can't train with you because you suck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That it's, yeah, it's your fault or I'm not getting there because of you or this. I recently had this really amazing woman (laughs) who came on board with us. um, 55, just lovely. And we were really teaching her stuff that made her uncomfortable, um, which was just like teaching her how to just move in a way she didn't know how. And she was like, oh, this feels like I'm doing nothing with this PVC. And I was like, yeah, but you know, you're learning a new movement pattern. You're going really well. And then two weeks in, she was like, I don't want to come anymore because I feel like that environment's not for me. There's just buff boys wandering around with their shirts off and I just need to take some time out and think about it. And I was like, what's going on there? And kind of like, I looked at the class that was in and there was like one guy with his shirt off. <laughs> that yeah. on the day that she was referencing. And I was like, why is that the thing that she's holding on to? And then I had to take responsibility for pushing too far, too fast. Like yeah. I just, I just drawn too many parallels back to things that she was struggling with in her personal life that she'd shared. And it was too soon. I didn't have that, that relationship with her yet. Yeah. Sometimes it's the, the building of trust and attention. Yeah, to like slowly build that trust, build the attention, and then we can, I guess, disrupt, (laughs) disrupt all the the belief systems and all their limiting beliefs that have landed them in this place. But, and I've also done that as a as a teacher. It's like too fast, too soon. Try to disrupt. 
and pretty yeah. much turn their whole world upside down with this new way um, without building that trust and attention. So no, it does. And then there's like a full rejection of the whole thing. It's like, no, uh, that person is not okay. They did not make me feel all right. Um, coming back to my training, like we do, like even up until the end of last year, I was really wrapped up in the status of my fitness. Like I'm strong. I'm a business owner. I am like, I'm been, I'm seen to be in like the higher percentage of, athletic ability in my sport crossfit um you know like i had this competition in in um in september and i was running the business on my own my business partner was away and it was the first time i'd actually been completely solo he was uncontactable he was on the other side of the world and so that in itself like i was handling it my ships together but i was also trying to keep a very very high level training practice going and so i had trepidation about the comp coming up and i was like i paid for it like i'm going I'm going to go. And I had all these excuses why I was going. And then when I got there, I didn't feel great. And I pushed myself through three days and I came back from it and I got so sick that like my immune system, like just shat itself. And I broke out and like adult acne I'd never had. And I had like, every time I tried to train even the littlest bit, my body would swell up like a Michelin man. And you know, I got diagnosed with glad that I'd had glandular fever while I was at the comp and I was like, Jesus Christ, I pushed through that. And, um, you know, it took me like three or so months to come back around to it. And then what I had to kind of acknowledge this year was like, oh, I was really attached to being seen competitively and, and, and in my business as being really fit. And I'm like not actually serving what I advocate in my brand, which is our fitness is not, is not this challenge that we constantly hit. It's this, it goes up and down like our life does. Like, you know, work, your fitness very much sits in your priorities where your pillars are. Like your family comes first for a while sometimes and then work and then your fitness and then it might move around and then you, know, you, get, you get to have a really prioritized training practice and then, you know, other things take play. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed in, am enjoying about this year is that in that convalescence that I've had to take, I've had like really emotionally satisfying connections with family and friends because I've had time to be with them. Yeah. Um, and then it made me go like, it's great to be, it's great to have, you know, commitment to training, but it doesn't always have to be the set amount of time. Like, you know, I think a lot of people who train consistently have a particular personality. Like there's an intensity to us or there's an OCD yeah. to us, we work yes. a particular <laughs> way. And so we get really into like the regiment of it. And then we can't achieve that. It's like, like, you know, I time again, I come back around to, I'm failing myself and I am learning more and more as I get older about just letting it go. Cause it's like, it's, I am completely fine if I only have 10 minutes to move in a day because tomorrow I might have a little bit more time. So I mean, like being attached yeah. to it. It's the intent and the context. Well, that's my biggest learning. So um, just for a bit of a background and context, Ren and I, we lifted together. Um, we did Olympic weightlifting together. We have the, we had the same coach and we we're in the same tribe. So we were training in Olympic weightlifting and, um, and I got really attached to it 
fascinated at first, but then almost obsessed. Uh, and it was from my single story, which was we only do things that we're good at. So I, I came from a back injury as well, which is how I connected with Jules. And I think when you're broken and you feel weak and you go through that journey and you find something that makes you feel strong and powerful and graceful. Uh, I'm not sure about you, Ren, but for me, I held on to that so hard because, and that became my new identity that I was strong. I was graceful. I was the pretty lifter. Um, and in that I got so attached, but it was so negative. Um, and it wasn't from a positive place. So I was coming from this place of fear and scarcity, fear of like, like what if I can't do it or I have to keep doing it because this is my identity and like this mm. scarcity place, which was, it was always about just focusing on reducing everything else and just having the training. Because mm. if I didn't have the training, I wasn't that person that I identified with. And then if a session didn't go right and I couldn't lift as well as I normally did or as heavy, um, I would go straight to back to that place. of like, you only do things that you're good at and you are the strong girl. You're the girl that's a pretty lifter. And so what you say, what you said then really resonates uh, with me is that mm. it, um, this place that we're coming from. And now I think it's so, it's totally cool. If you want to train or move your body like three times a day for like three or four hours a day, that's awesome. If it's coming from a place of love and abundance and curiosity and connection and like, mm. you know, it's just this exploration practice, kind of like what Jules does. Like yeah. he's come, since I've known him, he's come from this place of like pure exploration, of curiosity, of mm. just pure joy to connect to his body. And I always found that so fascinating because I had never, I never got that. It was never yeah. like that for me. Um, I don't know. Was it, um, was it similar experience? Uh, God, yeah. Um, Olympic think weightlifting? For, it was, yeah, Olympic weightlifting made me feel very powerful and does still like I still really enjoy it um and when I couldn't do it like the or couldn't achieve it the way that I expected my preconceived expectations not being met like yeah definitely absolutely would make or break the mood that I would be in um but also like if I didn't feel 100% my motivation my ability to get myself to go like I wouldn't want to go and if I went I was an absolute right bitch to be around like yeah. it wasn't enjoyable for the people who were training with me you know it was awful um it was funny when you were talking about like not being able to achieve what you wanted when you were training with me and I just had this like full-on like I was looking at it in image that picture of your knee when you did your knee and you had to lie in bed and you were like you couldn't train I yeah. remember that I remember how <laughs> how so upset you were, you know, and it, I, could, I felt for you, man, because, like, I'd been there too. Um, we get something that I deal with with my clients, but I've also experienced, and it, and it was through those early days with Lions of not being able to do lift how I thought or, you know, the pressure that we put on ourselves. Um, I did a disservice to Jules in those moments where I made it about him wanting things from me and I would, like, make him a villain and, you know, like, I, think I actually don't think I've ever apologized to him for that. 
I don't know if he'd appreciate it, but I probably should. I'm going to apologize to him for that because, you know, that was me. It was all my shit that was coming up around it um, and made me so horrible to be around. Was that not, not meeting expectation? But what I see with my clients and what I periodically deal with is if I can't do the thing that I've been able to do or I, can, I've, I just can't, I can't maintain that anymore, you just stop. Like you just, like, you know, as, a, as, a owner, as a business owner of a fitness facility, people just quit. It's like, oh, you know, work's getting, like, it's too hard to get there. Um, or like, I can't do that program right now. So I'm just not going to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to go nothing. I'm just going to go weeks and then suddenly months and I'm just not going to do anything, you know? And then like when, what I love about getting, um, experienced athletes that come in and have the join up conversation is um, they're kind of like, you know, I used to do this and I've had a few years off and I just realized like I need strength in my life. Like, oh, my, my back you know, does, isn't so great without the strength. Or I've realized um, I've got three kids and I really need that upper body to get them in and out of the car and, you know, yeah. I, need to, I need to get back into it. But I can't, I can't train like I used to. I'm, I'm not interested in doing it like that. And you're like, this is, this is fantastic. You've learned I can have this conversation of your fitness is this, this line it's not like this and it's good that you've realized that because now you're going to come in and you're going to practice and the way that we deliver our service here is uh, it's a longevity piece on life so i want you to have sex when you're 80 yeah. no one likes to think about it but 80 year olds like having sex yeah. like i have i have clients in their 70s and 80s and let me tell you people they're still very sexually active yeah and so like that's a piece that's really like, it doesn't resonate with 20 year olds. They don't, they don't know. They can't even imagine being 30. That was something when I hit 40 that I was like, holy shit, I'm 40. I, I couldn't, I never thought I could never imagine being here. And now I'm looking at people who are in their like early 30, early twenties. And I'm like, <laughs> you wait. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to go through the journey. <laughs> yeah. But I've also got newfound respect. Like the other day I was standing in the sun with one of my girlfriends and this beautiful woman was coming towards us and she had silver hair and she looked like she was, you know, like mid sixties. She was very graceful. She was just walking along and I turned to my girlfriend and went, we're going to be that old one one day. And obviously like <laughs> that woman who was walking towards us felt that it was, she was the object of our attention. She kind of gave us a bit of a nervous smile and walked past and my girlfriend looked at me and my girlfriend's 24 and she goes, are you feeling it today, Ren? And I went, no, I was having a moment of being excited because I'm going to be there one day. Yeah. Like, and what's that going to be like? Cause I thought that I had a handle on what it was going to feel like every step of the way. And you just, I'm very much in, in this moment of realizing that there is no handle. It's just, <laughs> what you, it's just how you're going each and every day. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that I am grateful for working with my older um, athletes. Like I've got a 76 year old woman who she's very real about talking about not having a handle on shit. Like her, she's got an apartment that's being developed and she's just about to move into it and she's selling her house in another state and she's moving here to be closer to her grandchildren. And she's very like, um, I don't know if it's the right thing. I don't know if I want to do it. Um, you know, like, I don't know if I want to, like she's experiencing moving home and leaving her friends just like any one of us does. 
And I think that there's this funny idea that when we get to be older, we're not, we're going to have our shit together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or when we achieve something, we look a certain way or we can lift a certain weight or we can do something like that will somehow, you know, make yeah. us, make us happier or we'll be, yeah. When we finally get somewhere or result driven, <laughs> result driven. Yeah. And, um, just like there's no enjoyment of the, of the journey. Yeah. Uh, and so is this where you've come with like your, your training and the connection mm. to your body now? Very much so. Um, very much so. Uh, it was cool to kind of come off being sick and come back to the barbell or just come back to, you know, um, acrobatic practice and be like, Oh, I'm, I'm not capable. I'm like, I'm down here right now. Like I'm using bands and I'm using a box and I'm only on a barbell and oh, actually I'm celebrating this. I'm going to, and the idea that I'm never going to be as fit as I was, that's, that's actually, I've actually had tactile experience with that not being real. Like I'm very likely going to be as fit as I was again in my life. It's just like, just in this moment, I'm getting an opportunity to just play um, I think when you get really fit, there becomes this like pressure on yourself, like to maintain or um, it's the next thing or almost like if I stop, there's a fear that I'm going to lose what I've gained. Yeah. I was very much the scarcity piece, like coming back to what you said about that, that I'm going to lose what I gain if I go on holiday for eight weeks. And then you come back and you're like, you're almost scared about coming back because you can't be that way. And then, I think we all, we kind of lose an, an, an ability to have the experience of, oh, like I get to just kind of not have that pressure. Yeah. Um, I got to go on holidays for eight weeks and experience yeah. this in life. And now I get yeah. to experience what it's like coming back after eight weeks. And yeah. that's cool. Uh, I think the, the thing I just said, the word, using the word pressure, like that when we do get into anything like work, family, training, it becomes like we do put pressure on ourselves, like pressure to perform. And, you know, like you said, like we would have a moment with training where you don't have what you expect at the end of the session and it impacts you when you go home, you're sad, you feel like shit about yourself, make it mean a whole bunch of shit that it has no place meaning. It's really interesting. I think we like to just the way that mainstream fitness is geared around eight week challenges, or if you do this exercise for 12 weeks, you'll have a six pack. Like we don't really connect with the, the physical practices a lot about how we deal with self mastery of our emotions and how we express ourselves in our relationships in the world. You know, like there's a, you can kind of go, oh, like I thought that if I did this eight week challenge, I was going to get this thing. And I was like, why was that thing really important to you? Oh, cause it's going to mean all this stuff in that moment. All the stuff has very little to do with the training practice. It's, yeah. it's about this, this emotion or the, this, this psychology that you're going through. Um, and it's an opportunity to like dig deep. And then a lot of people kind of go, I just gave it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. it didn't. Uh, there's so much more to learn there. And this is what I've learned. Cause for me, it was always about just the physical practice, like doing the weightlifting, writing it in my diary, you know, competing, getting to a number. 
I wasn't learning all the other stuff that came with it, all the soft skills about, you know, discipline, patience, trust, honesty, um, all these other skills that over the past three years, I thought, oh, wow, when you come from this place of like, I'm just here to connect and learn and have fun. Look mm. at all the other stuff that you actually learn about yourself, about yeah. how you relate to your body, to your environment, to other people. And mm. I think that's an important piece that we're missing in all this as well. Yeah. It's like people are so focused on do this thing for 45 minutes. Done. But this thing is like such a cool tool to teach you about so many other areas of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating when you express, when you embrace that. Um, I love debunking the aesthetic attachment to training. Yeah. So it's like, I've been training for like two years doing um, F45 and I haven't achieved what I wanted. I'm like, well, let's talk about what it was you wanted to achieve. We get into it. And I'm like, well, what's your sleep like? Like what's your relationship with your work balance? Like what's your relationship with your food like? And then what is your relationship with your recovery like? And people look at you like you're speaking another language. Mm. Like, what's that got to do with anything? And I'm like, well, you can't have everything else without that. And it's funny because we understand it in so many other ways. Um, if we don't get sleep, we can't get up and do that boardroom meeting really well. But we don't look at it as if I don't go, if I don't come home and have a good meal and have a good night's sleep, I'm not going to go to that 5.30 a.m. class and feel good. It's going to make me feel like shit. And people are like, oh, I don't understand that. I also love getting young guys and girls who really like to party. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they come in, they come in and they're like all messed up from a massive weekend. And you're just like, and they're like, oh, I pull my shoulder. Uh, how much, uh, how drunk were you 36 hours ago? And they're like this and like, so if you can't drive a car yeah. after that much alcohol, what do you think you're doing training in your body? And they're like, but I really need to sweat it out. I'm like, no, you needed to sleep and drink and like eat some good food and relax and come in in three days time. <laughs> yeah. And where that piece is missing as well. It's the, the training is only one part of it. It's such a small part. It's like, how mm. are you actually living mm. every day? and all the other areas of your life. Um, yeah, and again, I come back to the stress toy conversation around the physicality. So if you're really stressed and you're really like, like a tough piece of meat like this, and <laughs> then you come in and you're, and, and you're training and you're like, why, is, you know, why am I injured? And it's like your body is really not okay right now. Like you don't get to train until you deal with that. And it's like I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to do it without without yeah, this morphin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to navigate my life without like living up at, at this level, this heightened level. Um, mm. But it's like our default settings, which are all this stuff down here. So our sleep, our nourishment, our rest, our recovery, the food, the breath. Um, if we don't have this, we can't, um, we can't achieve the result. We can't create change, not sustainably. Um, mm. We can't uh, lose the weight because our default settings aren't strong. They aren't mm. stable. And so um, that's where I start with people 
is their yeah. default settings and they think it's so boring <laughs> to start working on like, you know, paying attention to their sleep and their, and their stress and what's the state. Because what we're trying to do is where they're trying to create change on a state that is so stressed mm -hmm. um, with something that is also very stressful. Like yeah. training is stressful for the body. And mm -hmm. so if you're in a stressful state and then training, like high intensity training, that is just adding more stress. And so yeah. the thing that I just find hard is that it's not sexy. Like you, when you, we have this conversation and we start working on the default settings, people don't think it's cool or sexy. They just want to do the cool, hard shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's the, this stuff that is the most important that allows you to go for the sprints, to do the hard training, to change your body composition, to lift heavier. Mm. Um, so I feel like stress is not like a bad thing. It's important for change, but it's like, it's the amount and our ability to recover from it. That's right. Um, so They're what are some of the like... things that you teach like your athletes around this? Um, We'll answer that in a second, but I just wanted okay. to say it was funny with when I get, I've had an athlete recently hurt himself. He fell off his bike in Japan and he was like, um, pop the cartilage that's attached to the collarbone. I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, he couldn't do anything shoulder work. And I was, I'm like, I'm so excited, Phil. And he was like, you're excited because I'm injured. And I'm like, yeah, because we're going to make your shoulders stronger than they were. And this is, this experience is going to make you a better athlete. And he was like, you're so fucking weird. And then we got working and we're six weeks in and he's actually like, he's this, he's a, he's a scientist. Um, and very, he's an incredibly intelligent person, but he's typical of a very intelligent, um, scientist, scientist person. That's not even a word. He's very, very like very small with big legs. Cause like he's, he understands that he needs fitness. So he rides everywhere, but he doesn't have much physicality here, much health. And he actually has shoulders now and he can see yeah. that he's got like, he's got a scapula and he understands what his scapula does. And, you know, <laughs> he's starting to come back into like main, main um, group activities where he's not scaling and you can see him kind of getting excited because he's doing stuff that he couldn't do before the injury. And so like we've talked a lot about how bad stress and in, in, in stuff that and is, but as is in human nature, most of us have to hit some kind of reckoning before we will yeah. learn. How yeah. we are geared, geared. And so um, for those of you who are listening who like are in a struggle or a challenge right now, just, you know, try and look at it as a positive experience because you're going to be more resilient on out the other end of it. And that is um, something that I talk about with my athletes about their training and their nutrition and their sleep. Having good practices there make you a more resilient human around your stress. So, if you can get through the boring shit, um, learn how to be still, um, get that you can have your priorities and they, and they very much move, you become way more resilient. And when you have that stressful shit happen to you, you can actually objectively interact with it as opposed to having it like really mess you up. Like I have people in my life who are very close to me and I love them very much. But when they get stressed, they go catatonic yeah. and they need to sleep full neural shutdown, I'm going to sleep. And it's like, they're, 
they avoid the work in the fitness space that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's funny because like I've been coaching this one person who's been close to me for all my life and he will get into his physical practice. But then when he gets right to that point where we're at the, like the places that he needs to really move that stress, something will happen and it means that he just doesn't come in as much or like he goes to ground and isolates himself. And it's like, there's something there that will eventually happen where he'll hopefully get over it and become more resilient. But yeah, like, hello Murphy, my dog's saying hi. Mm -hmm. Um, If you get to that place and that, then that's what we advocate with, um, with where, where my business is at the Oxbox. It's just, yeah. Like your life is, your life is part of your training. We call it lifestyle training. We don't call it fitness training or like fitness and health or strength training. We call it lifestyle training because while we're training people, we're talking to them about like how they're feeling and, you know, we're training them in a way and they're like, oh, this is a niggle or this is great or I feel really great right now. And we've talked a lot about negative impact of these moments, but like when people are having really, they're on top, like you celebrate that. Like everything's amazing. You know, it's like when the sun's out. You're having yeah. a really great time. Like, remember this time. I love to tell people I've worked with that have been struggling when they're having a really great time, you're having a great time. Have a moment when you go home to celebrate it because I remember six months ago you were not okay. And yeah. they're, they're sobering and they're like, hey, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Like, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, we only remember the hard stuff. We don't remember the, the good, like the good, the, the good stuff, the good time. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. powerful though when you're together in a tribe. So something mm. like you've created within your business, it's like hard to do it alone and we get stuck a lot. So I find yeah. when you come together and you have this tribe, this culture, uh, it's a hell of a lot more fun. And we forget mm. that F word in this yeah. fitness world. Yeah, um, We forget that it just needs to be fun as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what, like having a tribe, um, yeah. the Oxbox, all lions, uh, the weightlifting club, it really is just about the tribe and yeah. coming together and the connection that you get to have, yes, with your body and whatever you're doing physically, but with the people around you, mm. um, which is, yeah, what I've learned is that I can enjoy it more, enjoy training with people more now that I'm not attached to, to, to the actual practice as much. Yeah, it's funny you say that, like, last year we noticed we had members who had been with us for a really long time and they were going, we didn't have an ability for people to just play. We had classes and then people would go. And we had uh, an opportunity for them to do things before or after class, but not really, like, hang out and explore. And so they were going off and they were getting cheaper memberships at other places to sit on top of what they were doing with us. And I was like, that doesn't seem like a very good, like, value for money. So um, we cleaned up the business and moved things around. So there was floor space for people to play and mm. the environment was really, is really interesting now because we have a lot of people who do come and they play and they can book places down in, in other parts of the gym while classes are going and they can do their own thing. Um, and they do their own thing without interaction. So that we call it uncoached time. Um, and it's like, like, no, go, go play and explore. Um, and then I also find it really interesting when people who had, who re reach their, their, um, their, their use by date with training with us, they're like, you know, I, 
I kind of gotten everything I want to get out of this and I, I can't train with you anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to do something else. And the way that they interact with it is very much like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm leaving. Or they don't do that at all. They just cancel and they go yeah. MIA. And then if they see you across the road, across the, like they see you on the street, they cross the road. It's really weird. And it's like, Oh, but I celebrate that they want to go play and, and yeah. evolve more. Cause it's like, Oh, you've gotten, you've, you've learned and you're going like, be free and yeah. I want to catch up with you sure. and know like, what have you been doing lately? Oh God. Like you became a, you got into aerial yoga. That's, that's amazing. Like, you know, yeah. you know, you've got videos of you competing in polls. Show me. Like, it's crazy, you know? Um, but it's funny it, it, that people don't associate physical practice with play. Like no. we very much play in school. And then we might get into a, a competitive driven sport and then it's kind of done. And fitness is very utilitarian. And it's like, yeah. you know, there's a very small percentage of people that get, let's just play with it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, do you have any other thoughts to add? God, it's been such a varied conversation. I'm almost like scared to watch this. <laughs> we've gone all over um i know <laughs> we could have many and we could talk for hours yeah. <laughs> combined i, think, I think the biggest takeaway if you're listening to this is to understand that your training practice is that you are practicing being the animal that you are which is we are mammals and if you get like if you don't understand what that means like get yourself onto earth by David Enneborough and just check out what other mammals are doing. Because honestly, when you really watch those sorts of documentaries, they're the parallels that you draw from how we interact in our lives is very true. Uh, the thing that they're doing is they're moving the way that they're supposed to, and we don't anymore. And you can argue with me all you want. We are still animals on this planet and we need to do things for our health. And part of that is moving, whatever move. that looks like, just yeah. move move more yeah 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 that would be it that would be the thing that i would want you to take away <laughs> i love that um <laughs> where can people see you watch you find you oh my goodness my personal brand um oh, well, just not you like learn about like your beautiful tribe and your community that you created um i I am on my own personal Instagram, uh, fit rabbit fitness. That's fit underscore rabbit underscore fitness. Um, we're also on Instagram, my business, the ox box, all one word. Um, yeah, that's where you can see us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you so much for creating this space today to connect and, have a conversation. Ren and I haven't seen each other in three years. So <laughs> this was we like, have been loosely oh. following each other on social media, but this has been an amazing catch up. Yeah. This has been three years worth of, um, yeah. Connection and conversation <laughs> that we Very get. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Ren, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Amy. If you have any questions, you can connect with me on Instagram at Amy Kate Bow. I also write a daily blog. You can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, 
take the long way home. Bye for now.